why would you continue to invest in the stock market, right? And so as I'm talking to these highly, you know, these uh, very wealthy investors, and as I'm doing my research, what I'm learning is that if you've got assets, if you are an ultra high net worth investor, you've got assets over 35 million investable assets, 45 to 55% of those assets are invested in alternatives. Welcome to the Rise Up Live Free podcast, where we're going to be giving you the exact blueprint to reach financial freedom in 10 years or less, regardless of your age, your income, or your experience. You see, we believe that 97% of traditional financial advice is dangerous, misleading, or outright wrong. And we're here to empower you on how you can use money and cash flow as a tool to create, build, and live a life you love now rather than having to wait until you're 65. If you're ready to take immediate action, join us over at cashflowtactics.com forward slash podcast. All right, Empire Builders, welcome back to the Rise Up Live Free podcast. Your host, Brad Gibb here, and I'm running solo. I don't have my wingman, Ryan or Jimmy with me today, but that's because I'm joined by two amazing guests that we've been excited. We've been working for six, eight weeks to get these guys on, to have our schedules line up and get in and have this discussion and conversation. So really excited to talk to you about a couple of things. So be watching out for this in the course of conversation. You're going to see in the flesh or like in the real world, some of the concepts we talk about at Cashflow Tactics. We talk about the concept that the wealthy are not doing the same things that you're listening to your average goldfish advice talk about, right? The wealthy, those with millions of dollars, 10 million, 30 million, $50 million, they're not doing the same, you know, even portfolio of stock, you know, evenly allocated stocks, bonds, mutual fund portfolios. It's not that they're doing that, but in a way that's better than you, right? They've exited that game entirely and they're playing by a different set of rules. And we're going to bring to you what some of those rules look like. Because if you go to a goldfish advisor, they by definition, no matter how much they care about you, no matter how smart they are, no matter how much they have your best interest at heart, it doesn't, they can't show you or teach you what they don't know. So this is going to be a fun episode because we're going to open up some worlds that the average investor never, ever, ever gets to see. Okay. And then we're going to wrap up, I think, uh, unless the conversation goes in a different direction, but we want to wrap up pointing out another thing that we lean into all the time inside of Cashflow Tactics, which is the high risk, high return is a lie. It's a fallacy. It just does not produce results. And right now in the middle of a COVID pandemic and uncertainty in the markets and ultra low interest rates and the government paying trillions of dollars, we're left in a lurch here of how do I generate yield? Because the average corporate bond, you know, A grade bond, treasury bonds, we're in the one, 2% range. So we can't generate yield safely, right? But those that bought into the high risk, high return, they're getting slammed now because now is the risk part of the high risk, high return. They, they did great for the last two or three years when the markets were booming, but now we're, we're paying that price if you follow that advice. So we want to talk about how do we still generate yield but structured in a way that we're not exposed to all of that risk. So throughout the conversation, those are two concepts. I'm excited they're going to come out of this. I know you're going to learn a ton for it. So I want to welcome Matt and Kyle from Reef to the podcast. How are you guys doing today? Good. Thank you for having us. Yeah, excellent. Excited to be on here with you and have this conversation. Okay. So 
just real, real quick, just intro who you guys are. And let's, Matt, we'll just kind of let you take over and dive in. Um, you've got a great kind of intro discussion point I'd love you to have with the listeners. Yeah, for sure. Kyle and I are managing directors at Reef Investment Management. Uh, we're a real estate investment company based in Alpine, Utah. And we're big fans of cash flow tactics. Uh, we love, you know, just your opening says it all, right? I mean, I started out my career in finance, in banking, then got in, into wealth management. And when I got into wealth management, my, my first question was, you know, what are the smartest people in the business doing? What are the wealthiest investors doing? Because obviously, if you've got a billion dollars, you can afford to have the best advisors that money can buy. And I wanted to know what they were doing. And so Fortunately, I, I, I did know some people that have that level of assets, and I started asking them. And what, what I learned was, number one, they hate to lose money. And, of course, they're not alone. We all hate to lose money. But, Warren Buffett's number uh, one rule of investing, right? Never lose money. <laughs> that's right. And then number two rule, yeah. don't forget rule one. Never forget rule number one. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so how do they invest without, you know, with highly mitigating their risk? Well, obviously, they're doing – things like you're preaching, like the vault. And they're also doing things wait, wait, like wait, 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 wait. We can't, we can't skip over that. So you're talking to people <laughs> with tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, and they're doing what yep. with it? They're putting money into a vault, into life insurance. They're stuffing what? life insurance policies full of cash. That's right. So, so they're not listening to Dave Ramsey, right? <laughs> no. They're, nope. they're do okay. All right. I, I just didn't want to skip over that. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it was, it was very enlightening and, and to hear this from them. And the other thing they're doing is they're investing in a category, an asset class called alternatives, right? And alternatives include private equity, private debt, private credit, like what we do. Okay. What does this mean? The average listener, I'm sorry to keep cutting you off, but um, sure. the average listener heard the word alternatives and they gasped, yep. right? Like, uh-oh, that's, <laughs> but, oh, but, that's, but that's risky but then I'm told yeah. I need high risk, high return. Now we're like in this conundrum of, well, what? So I'm excited for them to really learn what alternative investing really means. All it actually means. You're going to give us a very technical definition because you guys are nerds, mm. which is why the three of us are on the podcast because <laughs> they're like, let's leave the three nerds on a podcast. But the layman's definition of it is anything not prepackaged, watered down and force fed to you by Wall Street. Is that a pretty good layman's That's definition right. of non-alternative or what alternative is? Yes. In fact, if you were to Google alternative investments, I think BlackRock has a definition on their website that is, is exactly that. Maybe not as, maybe not as uh, clear as, as yours, <laughs> as Crass. honest as your They're definition. Honest. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But that's exactly right. So it's anything above and beyond your typical stock, bond, mutual fund type of portfolio, right? Yep. And so, you know, what do alternatives mean, right? So the question is, you know, what if I told you as an investor that you could earn equity type returns, say 10%. Now, 10%, if you take the S&P going back the last 100 years, 10% is what the S&P has earned. I think it's just shy of 10%, 9.8 or something like that. And that's gross of fees. So if your typical advisor is charging you 1% or whatever, you know, maybe over 100 years, if you live to be 120 and you've been in the stock market for 100 years, you're going to see a, an 8 plus percent return in your portfolio. But in exchange for that, you are going to take a massive roller coaster ride. You're going to be up 40%, you're going to be down 50%. And that, you know, the, the level of stress that that caused, the years that it takes off your life, is it really worth it? When I told you that you could get the same return, you could get a 10% return 
with the same level of risk as an A-grade corporate bond, right? Mm -hmm. Now, an A-grade corporate bond is not volatile. There's incredibly little risk to it. Mm -hmm. The question then becomes, why would you continue to invest in the stock market, right? And so as I'm talking to these highly, you know, these uh, very wealthy investors, and as I'm doing my research, what I'm learning is that if you've got assets, if you are an ultra high net worth investor, you've got assets over 35 million investable assets, 45 to 55% of those assets are invested in alternatives. Okay. And now so we know why. I, I want to pause right there too. So half their investments are in this type of investment that we're going to talk about today. And that also yep. flies in the face of you have to have a well-diversified blend and never don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's, we, we don't put all our eggs in one basket when we don't have any control and when we're on that roller coaster, right? We have to do mm-hmm. that to get some semblance of security. But when we have A-grade bond risk, but equity-like returns, we don't have to go through the diversification process. And then if a big chunk of our other wealth is in the, one of the most secure assets like cash value life insurance, the vault concept that we talk about, that's another reason why we don't have to diversify, right? And then if the other portion is in either businesses that we own and run or investment grade real estate that we have some control over, like we only need a couple buckets because the level of control and we've done a good job mitigating the risk. So in addition to what I said at the beginning in the opening, we're seeing that the wealthy are not diversifying. They're not getting that way because they did a little bit of everything. They got focused in the things that work and ignore the rest. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a good point. I mean, the focus yeah. point too, right? If you're spread so far across yeah. everything, every asset class, stocks, bonds, you can't really pay attention to it. You're going to get, you know, the what Matt was saying, like the 9% return for the stock market, the average investor, because they don't have that long-term view, they earn 4 or 5%. So you cut that in half, Right. typical investor, right. like their actual experience in the market. I mean, and that's what I, I did that too. Like I've done, I did that for 10 years before I found asset back lending in, in this space. And before anybody says, oh, but Dave says I can get 12, go Google Dalbar, D-A-L-B-A-R. They're an independent research firm. They do not sell any investments, which is kind of pretty important for researchers, right? The Dalbar, they look at what the actual, this average investor, Kyle, that you're talking about, right? And they factor in all of the things, fees and taxes and volatility, but also behavior, right? Getting scared and pulling money out and then investing too late at the top, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And they look at what the actual investor gets and the 20-year average for the average equity investor is right between the two numbers you said, 5 to 6%. So go Google that. Go mm-hmm. Google the Dalbar report. You can bring it up and it'll show exactly what he's saying. You don't have to believe us, right? You know, you probably should because we're either financially free or we work every day with the people with millions and millions of dollars to invest. So I think we do know a little bit about what we're talking about, but you can go there and look at that up as well. So before anybody says, oh, but Dave says, blah, 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 just go look for yourselves and see what you really find. Okay, keep going, guys. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah, that is, and Kyle brings up an excellent point because the other thing is if you're 50 years old and you're going to your typical advisor, where's 50% of your assets going into into fixed income, right? Because their compliance officer is telling them, look, Mm -hmm. you can't afford to have this level of volatility. Therefore, we need to put half, you know, your age in bonds is the typical uh, thing that they say. How, you know, whatever your age is, we put it into fixed income. So, Boy, today um, that would make me feel really good. My age in bonds with even... (laughs) even that 38% of my investments would be earning zero to 2% for me. That doesn't sound very exciting. So, and of course the bond market has been performing not too, you know, not too great. 
and the forecast for the bond market doesn't look doesn't look terrific. So alternative credit is obviously very popular. So what does that mean in terms of what we do? So basically what we're doing in our fund is that we're aggregating first lien positions in commercial real estate, right? So we've got borrowers that own commercial real estate that are looking for quick, flexible financing that they can't get from a bank. Mm -hmm. So in exchange for us giving them the funding, they're giving us a senior position on their property at a loan to value ratio of, you know, 50 to 55%. And, and to put that in just very simple terms, uh, in 08 and 09, the, the real estate market, you know, fell precipitously, right? It was like the worst real estate crash we've seen in a hundred years. The commercial market, which is less volatile than the residential market was still down about 37%. But if you've got an average loan to value of 55%, then that means that the market would have had to fall below 45% for us to see any material principal risk. And in fact, our portfolio, we had to foreclose on about 70% of our portfolio in 08 and 09, but our portfolio still ended up net plus 6%. And so in the worst real estate crash in a hundred years, our clients did not lose money. They still made money. And that's okay. the power of what we're talking about. Okay, guys, the, the results as you're listening in speak from for themselves. Like your jaws should be dropping to the floor to say, wait a minute, somehow these guys in real estate, in 08, in the worst market ever, having the worst out, 70% of their portfolio had the worst outcome imaginable, which was taking back over the properties while banks, we, we read about banks, you guys, banks took massive losses on all their foreclosures, right? Like, weren't we bailing out banks left and right for a four <laughs> or five year stretch? So right. this is very different. Something has to be different here because you guys did the same thing. You foreclosed on a lot of property the same way bank does, but you, we, you guys didn't get a bailout right? You actually still made your <laughs> investors north of 6%. That's right. That's a factor of two primary things. Well, three primary things. Number one, our underwriting is superb, right? So our, we co-invest in every loan that we do and we okay. are run by highly... In Go ahead. Stop right there, okay? <laughs> okay. You have skin <laughs> in the game, which is why your <laughs> underwriting matters. In 08, if you could fog a mirror, you got a loan. Why? Because the bank didn't have any skin in the game. <laughs> right? But you guys have skin in the game. Not only your investors capital, but your own money is in every single deal that you participate in. It's huge, huge, totally shifts. Yeah. The entire, I talk about like, it's crazy that in the investment world, we have to pass laws to align the investment advisor with the investor, right? Pretending like a law is going to fix all this negative incentive out there. The only time, I don't need a law to know how to align my incentives. I just want to make sure the person I'm working with has skin in the game based on what they're telling me to do as well. And the rest of it just takes care of itself. Yeah, that's right. Especially if you're co-investing alongside people that really know what they're doing, right? Yep. And our loans are syndicated across our whole platform. And so not to get too technical, but you know, it's not just our underwriting committee that's looking at it, but we're also typically getting one or two institutional anchors to take a piece of every loan we do as well. And so their investment committees are looking at it. And these are also highly intelligent real estate people. So I want to say this before I forget, just so you guys see what you're, what's happening here inside of a game, like what uh, Matt and Kyle have put together, this is my chance 
to take my little slice of capital that I have and invest right alongside people with $35 million plus to invest and institutional investments. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's it. I mean, billions. We've got multi-billion dollar family offices that co-invest in our deals. And so we as a company are co-invested. We also have our own money, our own balance sheet. Uh, We're putting our own capital into the deal. We're getting institutional partners to put capital in the deal. And our funds take a 5 to 20% position in, in every loan. So the loan is sliced and diced across multiple investors. There's multiple eyeballs looking at every loan. And then at the end of the day, we make you know, our investment into it. So we're aggregating these positions into the fund, five to 15 of these positions each year. It's a one-year hold on the fund, one-year investment period, wherein the fund invests in, you know, these five to 15 positions. And then at the end of that first year, the remaining one to two years as the loans are repaid, the investor is seeing their principal and interest come back. Now they, they can reinvest that principal and interest into the fund and we do one of these funds every year. They're, they're annual funds. So every year we open a new fund and people can reinvest into that fund. So it's a great, I don't want to say set it and forget it, but it is kind of a great yeah. set it and forget it type investment. And, uh, you know, we have consistent cash flow. We're paying out monthly, you know, 79 to 85 basis points a month, depending on the number of days in that month. We've set up uh, an interest buffer in the fund. I'll let Kyle get into the details a little bit more, but we've set up an interest buffer in order to, help manage the volatility such that we can pay that out on a monthly basis. And it's just a terrific deal. We're on our third fund now and, and uh, it's been very successful. We've got 700 plus individual accredited investors, individuals and institutions who I like to describe as raving fans. I think there there's definitely uh, we operate like a a large family. We're very customer focused and uh, we make it easy for, for customers to invest and to track their investments with us. And maybe you don't have this right offhand, but I thought you gave this to me one time. What percentage of your investors reinvest each year? Wasn't it something crazy high? Oh, it's like 90%. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say and, it's like a family, I mean, that's the way it is. I mean, it's, it really is that way. Yeah. And actually Absolutely. that's a, and it, yeah. that kind of segues into another point though, too. It, our borrower, our, our investors are coming back to us year after year, but even our borrowers come back to us as well. That we're not, uh, yeah. you know, that some people, some firms in the industry get the like shark lender stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, but our, we really try to work hand in hand with our borrowers. So 30 to 40% of them just come back and keep borrowing from us over and over again, uh, because they really enjoy the relationship and the speed and everything. So I think that is a, probably a, a noteworthy point when Matt's saying our fund it's a pretty short duration investment. This isn't like a bank that's doing a 30 year mortgage type thing. We're focusing on commercial bridge loans. So our, our duration is only about six to 18 months on the loans that we're funding. And it's, I mean, we're basically the bank before the actual bank is willing to lend. So that's where we're able to charge a really high interest rate in return for that. But all we're doing is first lien. So I think that's another important thing too. You know, we're first lien is paid back before every other debt holder, including a senior debt holder. Like first lien is is as secure as you can get. And that's really all that we do. So it's it's really just kind of the the philosophy of trying to consistently hit singles and doubles week after week rather than, you know, swinging for the fence and um and potentially getting into a tight situation. Yeah, this is why I have such a man crush on the two of you guys, because you say all the same things exactly <laughs> that we're teaching, right? Hitting singles and doubles. So let me spend just fifty now, maybe maybe five minutes here and break down kind of how the investments work without getting into the technicalities of like how the fund is structured, because that's where some people get lost, right? We really preach that you sure. have to understand fundamentally what's going on 
inside the investment and how value is being created before we can really understand how we're going to participate. So let me break it down for the listener really, really quickly that way. And then let you guys plug in any holes and, and talk a little bit more about how that's put together. And then, and then we'll move to the next point. So basically what's happening here is you've got somebody, let's say they own a, a hotel and it's small hotel. Maybe it's got a hundred rooms and the owner of it, I'm just making up a hypothetical and tell me if I'm at least in the ballpark of what might be going on here. But let's say the hotel's 30 years old and it needs to be refreshed, right? It needs flat screens, TVs instead of the old ones that they have. It needs new paint and new carpet. Just everything needs to be refreshed. Well, you can imagine that would cost a pretty penny to do and it needs to be done very, very quickly so they can get back to renting out their rooms, right? And yep. maybe this, this hotel is not fully paid off, but the owner of it has a good equity position in it that person needs financing that doesn't exist in the market because a bank doesn't want to lend before all of those renovations are done because they don't want to take that risk. They want to know that the renovations were good, that it got done in time and on budget, and that the rooms are rented at the new higher rates that they would expect to get with a newly renovated hotel. So they need some money. I was just going to say, like, it it could be that a traditional bank could do the loan. It's just that maybe what happened is that just to use your hotel example. So let's say it's a, you know, it's flagged as a Hilton. And uh, one of the Hiltons comes walking in and sees that the carpet's got stains all over it. Well, they turn to the owner and they say, look, if you don't get this cleaned up in the next, you know, four weeks, we're pulling our brand, we're pulling our flag from your hotel, right? So you're going to go from a Hilton to a, you know, Bob Smith's hotel and a bank's just not going to do that financing in a month. I mean, they're going to take yeah. three to six months. They would do it, but they're not going to do it in that quick a time. So, that they need quick. quicker financing and that's where we step in. So, there's urgency behind it, right? And so, this owner comes to you guys and says, I need this capital. I need it fast and I need it on terms that make it so we can finish the project and then and then refinance out into, into much longer terms, okay? So, you guys come back to yeah. us and say, great, we're willing to do that, but I see you have some other loans against your property. So the first thing you guys do is you clear the books of all the loans. So it's just you and the borrower, right? Yep, yep. Well, that's what they mean by first lien. Yeah, that's right. So we're gonna take the total value of the property if it's $10 million, right? And if the hotel's cash flowing, I mean, to be honest, in this market, we're not huge fans of hotels. So it's not the best That was probably a bad example, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's all right. That's okay. But I mean, we're not really looking at hotels right now, but just to continue the the example, uh, if, you know, it's a $10 million hotel and let's say the guy owns, you know, maybe he's got a half million dollar lien on it, right? Well, net, net, we're going to want, you know, we might go up to 60% because it's cash flowing on a loan to value. So yes, we would come in, we're going to take out that previous loan. We're going to take the senior position on the property. And so materially what that means is let's say that borrower takes our money that we give him $6 million and misses his first payment, right? In a month. Well, we try to work it out with them, but let's just say the borrower for whatever reason just ends up not paying. Well, we are coming in and we're taking that property. We're foreclosing on it. So our focus is on, you know, states that have lender-friendly laws that have not, you know, they're non-judicial foreclosure states, which means that we don't have to go through the court process in order to foreclose. It's a simpler foreclosure. But we're going to come in and we're going to take that property, including all of the equity. And so, that's the reason why the loan-to-value ratio is so important. It's so critical. Uh, so, a couple of yeah. things there. So, you would have no more than $6 million lent on a $10 million building, right? 
the owner has skin in the game, back to the skin in the game conversation, right? It's not just yep. you guys setting up the deals, but we make sure that the owners have skin in the game so they see the project through to completion. And a couple of things, and so you would loan on it, you would give them enough to wipe out all the other obligations they have. Now it's just you and the owner, Reef and the owner, yep. working this deal out. If it goes south, that's not what we want to have happen, but we're protected right. because it could be worth 40% less than we estimated that it would be worth. And my principal is still protected, right? Correct. And then exactly. on top of that, when you go to close on the loan, how do you guys handle costs and fees and interest reserves and that? Because that's pretty interesting. Talk to that for just a second. Yeah, sure. I'll take you that like part. So, that yeah, it's, sure. uh, so that is part of the, just the strict underwriting that Matt was mentioning to begin with. So at the very beginning, before we even give a borrower a single dollar, we're structuring the loan so that there are reserves that are, are funded at, at the beginning. So we fund, uh, you know, say continue with the $10 million example, we'll fund maybe a million dollars of interest on day one so that this borrower has 12 months of interest so that they're, you know, it basically gives them time to do all these improvements. Um, so that's typically where we'll say, okay, we'll give you the $6 million loan, but we actually want you to bring a million dollars to the table to pre-fund all of your interest. And we're going to hold that in our, our, our accountants will hold that and they'll release it every single month to all of our investors and our fund. So it's really yeah. kind of trying to mitigate that risk up front um, to give the borrower enough time to be successful. And then we're also gonna fund a default reserve where we can take a you know, $50,000 default reserve to apply to legal fees and foreclosure and bankruptcy and all that stuff. We fund a tax reserve as well. If we have to take over the property and we have to make the tax payments, we're gonna fund a two to three years worth of tax payments up front on day one. So it's, we're really trying to mitigate all the risks ahead of time and then have a very defined exit strategy in place. You know, it, it might be the bank, a conventional bank that is willing to lend in six months and we'll get a LOI or a term sheet from them saying that, yes, after these improvements are done, we'll give you money at, at a 3% or 4% rate and that'll be mm -hmm. our takeout. We'll get repaid by, the, by a bank that's willing to come in after that property has been stabilized. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh, guys, this, I just get giddy every time you talk about this. So, <laughs> so where this is a concept that we talk about here, instead of high risk, high return, like your, like the average goldfish advisor teaches, what you guys are teaching is mitigate or eliminate our downside. We say we want to, we want to eliminate our risk of ruin. And that's what you guys are talking about. So you're making sure that a year's worth of interest. So the entire time I'm in your fund, my return is already guaranteed because it's brought to the table by the borrower at the beginning. Yep, exactly. And then yeah, yeah. you're making the borrower pay all the fees if the deal goes sideways. They're paying the legal fees. They're paying the tax fees. They're paying all that. It's not coming from yep. us. So that's already reserved again. So we've eliminated. And then on the back end, we have 40% equity to protect us. So we've, we, we can't say that we've eliminated the risk because there's always things that could go further than that, right? But we've definitely severely mitigated that downside risk. And then we've left all of the upside potential. And so we have a disproportionate payoff is what we're working for. This is how the rich get wealthy. This is what they do with their money is they look for disproportionate payoffs. For the amount of risk we're taking, we have a way higher potential of making money than we ever do losing it rather than a balanced high risk, high return approach. So that's how they do it is they do it through, we wanna make sure if we participate in any deals like this, we wanna make sure that we're in first position. We have a very healthy equity position. You guys don't go above about 60% typically. And then we wanna make sure that all those that are returns 
as much as we possibly can, we guarantee a minimum return as well as our downside costs are taken care of. Amazing. Okay. Yeah, Brad, let me yeah. throw one more thing out there too. The, um, a very different situation than what the banks are in. You know, if you get a 30-year mortgage from a bank, it's considered non-recourse, right? So if you mm-hmm. default, all the bank can do is come and take that piece of property. They can't come after you personally. But us as a lender, the, the borrowers that are coming to us, we actually have a personal guarantee from all of our borrowers mm-hmm. as well. That it's, it's very different. So if a borrower defaults, that you know they're going to do everything they can possibly do to pay us back because we can not only mm-hmm. take the property and say the property has deteriorated in value and we're you know, a few dollars short on our principal, we can actually go after the borrowers personally after their assets. So, they're, so the interests are extremely aligned and it increases the margin of safety there as well because we're you know, cross-collateralizing and, and potentially have access to the borrower's other assets outside of just this property, which is uh, you know, a, a bank with a mortgage can't do that, obviously. Okay. So that segues nicely into the second point that I wanted to make. Most people don't understand. I call it the totem pole of investing. So think about how a totem pole is built, right? It's these little layers on top of each other, right? In a business deal, we want to ask ourselves who gets paid first, right? So I'm going to walk through the example and I want to tie it back to this. So give me just a second. I'm going to walk through this. So if a, if a business is, is making money, right? The very first people that they have to pay are their employees, right? Employees are protected. I mean, they're, that's, so when money comes in, employees get paid first. The next person that gets paid are vendors typically, right? People that are providing services, providing inventory, you know, whatever service they need. Those are the people that are going to get paid next, right? Mm-hmm. Then the third person that's going to get paid inside of a business would be anybody with like short-term liabilities, right? That those, any short-term uh, whether it's you know accounts payable that they have or some short-term financing that might have a place, that's the third person that gets paid. Then the fourth person that's get paid is anybody with intermediate financing, right? These would be any actual loans, whether it be mortgages, whether it be business debt against machinery or whatever, those people get paid fourth, okay? Then fifth, there's a, this is when investors start to step in, but the first set of investors that get paid fifth are actually the bond holders, right? They get paid next. So anybody that's negotiated a fixed return with specific terms, they're going to get paid next. Then sixth, the next person that's going to get paid, there's a, most people don't understand this, but there's a preferred class of stock typically within every set of companies. Those people, whoever holds preferred stock, they're going to get paid next if there's still money left over, right? Then seventh is when the common shareholder gets paid, right? So that's the totem pole of capital, right? Or totem pole of investor of who gets paid first. And the closer you are to revenue, the more likely you are to get paid. So think about it. When, when a public company has a hard time, who feels it? Not the employees, not the vendors, but it's the common shareholders, the one that you're told is the safe, secure place that we should put all of our retirement assets. You're in last position. Whereas, what Reef and Kyle and, and Matt are talking us through is they've structured an investment where they're number four or five on that totem pole instead of all the way at seven, eight, nine, right? So we put ourselves in a position that we are preferred to anyone else behind us. And this is why we can mitigate risk so very differently. And almost no one and no investment advisor ever taught me that. I had to, I had to be an auditor for public companies for three years to, to tease that out and see that. Be like, wait a minute, who's actually getting paid here? 
you know, we, we had companies go public. We had companies then go bust. And guess what? When a company goes bust, when, the, when it goes the other way, the common shareholders never get paid, ever. There's yeah. never money left over at that point. You know, Brad, I would, I would just make the point that we, in a sense, we're actually number one because if the, if the company pays the employees instead of us, well, they're not going to have a, an office building anymore because we're <laughs> going to come in and take the office building. <laughs> so, so they don't have, they, they have sense, we, to pay you guys. Yeah. Okay. I hope listeners are learning something here, right? Like we're intentionally not wanting to talk about, hey, here's a deal and here's how it went and here's how we put it together. Like that would be the way the average person, why they just want to get to the deal. What, what we strive here at Cashflow Tactics to do is bring you guys an understanding of the fundamentals, the principles, the frameworks that we use to make decisions and see those at play in more places than just vaults and single family homes like we do. The reason like, we want to get good at identifying the frameworks and the principles and, the, and that lead to successful outcomes, less try to chase deal to deal, okay? Because that's not repeatable. That's not, we want to build a system of investing, not a, I got lucky and found a really good deal this one time, right? Cool. So, this is opening up a world for listeners. But before we wrap up, I don't want to go too much longer. We've been going here for a little while. I want to ask you guys the question that everybody has on their mind, right? We are in it now a COVID world, right? We've got all this regulation. We've got all this fear. We've got all this uncertainty and no one knows what's coming next. But you guys are still very actively raising money, making investments, moving the world forward. How can you guys do that in a world with this much uncertainty? And what do you guys see as what's coming next in this whole world? And why shouldn't we all be ostriches and just put our head in the sand. Yeah. That's the most common question out there right now, right? Yep. When we're talking to new investors, current investors. And the the answer from our perspective, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, our So our strategy really hasn't changed for 15 plus years that we've been in business. And it's not going to change going forward because we're so ultra focused on, you know, conservative underwriting and capital preservation. So, you know, not losing capital has always been the number one focus. And that doesn't change at all in an environment like this. Uh, so, you know, requiring the borrower to have a bunch of skin in the game, conservative LTVs, defined exits, that type cash of thing. Cash flowing properties. Yep. Cash flow. Yeah. It's all about the cash flow, consistent, safe cash flow. You know, that's, that's been our, our, always been our priority and it, it'll continue to be the priority. But in an environment like this and what we see going forward, you're just starting to, to see this in the, in the marketplace. Um, it's going to become exponentially more attractive for us to deploy capital because a lot of these, uh, you know, borrowers that were strapped, they are getting pushed into bankruptcy by their current lenders. So it's going to allow us to come in and scoop up these assets for pennies on the dollar in some cases. Uh, And we're already starting to see that. So because we've, you know, never used leverage or employed leverage, we're in a position to come in and take over and buy these quality assets for people that were too levered and that were, you know, they couldn't, basically couldn't satisfy the, their debt obligation. So from our perspective, nothing really changes from an underwriting side, from the underwriting side of it, but the opportunity to invest dollars is just way more attractive than it was a year ago or two years ago. Okay. I so want to geek out with you nerd talk on that, but let's, let's break it down simpler for everybody. What, it, what Kyle is saying here is, we're seeing disproportionate payoffs at work, right? 
two years ago, 18 months ago, 12 months ago, our disproportionate payoff was making opportunities like this look maybe subpar, right? People were getting 15, 18, 21% in the markets, right? And these funds are only, only doing 10, 12%, right? So when the risk is the highest and the return is the highest, our signals get confused, right? But what Kyle is talking about is saying, well, we've, because we've followed these principles from the beginning, we don't need to change our strategy when the markets change. We've already protected our downside. So everybody that woke up in 2020 and is now down for the year and you know, for a while there, people were staring at, at double digit losses. The downside is protected where we're still going to get our 10% because it was paid in advance and we're protected by equity. But now when everyone else is running, we hear this all the time, but nobody understands the mechanism that drives it. People, the wealthy say you actually make money in recessions, right? We don't make money when the markets are up. We make, we want to run in when there's blood in the streets. This is what Reef is positioned to do. Their downside is protected. And now there's going to be lots of opportunity because of the volatility, because of the distress. So we've protected our downside. So all the investments you guys already have are still going to perform well, but now it's opened up this new opportunity that while everyone else is losing, we're making, and we get to run into the chaos and extract even more out of this. And it only provides more opportunity. This is a real life example of how following the right principles lead us toward, this is what the wealthy have always done that we're trying to bring to our audience, to, to you guys, to open up your minds to see this. That's what's exciting about what I'm seeing here. Is that, am I saying that correctly, you guys? That's a very good way to rephrase yeah. what I said. I like it. <laughs> it. You know, I'll put it even simpler, buy low, sell high, right? I mean, you hear that all the time, buy low, sell high. So we are, you know, in the downtimes, cash is king. You hear that all the time too. Yeah. Well, in the good times, we're already making a great return, a phenomenal risk-adjusted return, right? But in the downtimes, we're also sitting on a lot of cash. And that, that allows us to exert even more leverage to get even more, you know, better deals. And so to kind of capitalize on what Kyle was saying as well, what we are seeing in the marketplace are, you know, are, are even better deals, right? So deals that have even lower loan-to-value ratios because a lot of middle market lenders, which is where we operate, don't have the bandwidth or the, the capital or capacity to make those loans. And it's not like business just stopped. People still need money. And so what we're seeing is borrowers coming to us that have, you know, just we're just seeing much better deals, lower loan to values, higher quality borrowers, uh, phenomenal properties. And so it's a very opportunistic market. And that's where we, we kind of thrive. Well, hopefully this has been an enlightening episode. This is one of my favorite episodes you, you guys did. <laughs> Wonderful job with this. Is there anything that you normally, when you're having a conversation with investors, because this is all new, right? Most people didn't know that this was even possible. Now that they do, are there any other concepts or points that are important to touch on with somebody just being aware of this that you guys want to touch on before we wrap up? I would just say one thing, and that is kind of what you've been saying all along, which is it's not like what we're talking about is brain surgery, because the, what we're doing is has been done for decades, and it's what the wealthy and this, have invested in for decades. And so it may be news to people that have, you know, one, two, three million dollars. But if you folks that have fifty, hundred million dollar plus, they're, they've been doing this for decades, and they're very familiar with it. You can go and, and do your own homework and look it up. It's not actually 
as crazy as it might sound, it's real and it's what wealthy people have been investing in for decades. So you're telling me things like whole life insurance and asset back lending have been around since, oh, I don't know, maybe 200 years. <laughs> and it's the way everyone yeah. wealth before this knew that it's interesting though, that the stock market is actually the new kid on the block. <laughs> like right. massively packaged stocks have only been around since the 70s, right? And so mm-hmm. we only have now 50 years history there, which sounds like a lot of time. But if we really want to know what a lot of time looks like, we need to go th- look at assets that have been really over the course of time. And it's interesting, some of the like, and this is where Jimmy and I geek out on this kind of stuff, because again, we're nerds as well. We like look at the American Revolution and, you know, early American history, like lending is what moved the country forward in the very beginning, right? right? That's what got people oh, yeah. here is they would lend it to people and they will come over here and they will colonize and would start a farm and then they would pay it back. Like that's yeah. what's driven this economy forward for 300 years, not just 50. Mm-hmm. And these concepts of insurance and security and lending have been through, you know, two world wars, a great depression, stagflation, right? The dot-com bubble, the real estate bubble, money printing, all the things that have gone on for the last 200 years, they're the ones that have survived, but we've barely begun to even test what everybody has now believed to be the gold standard of investing of diversified portfolio of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Yeah. Okay. Well, great guys. Thank you for your time. And if anyone, so quick, quick call to action here. Um, I'm sure everybody is now going to hit us up and be like, oh, I want to give them all my money. Well, pump the brakes and pause for a second, right? (laughs) That's not how this works, right? So what we preach at Cashflow Tactics is the products don't matter. That's not what comes first. Before you decide to make any investment decision, what you need is you need a game plan. You need to know where you are, where you're headed, what that gap looks like and what you need to do to fill it in before we could even say an opportunity like this even begins to make sense. So the place to actually start, if you're saying, wow, this is an entirely new world and I wanted, I want to start changing how I invest, really starts with the five-day challenge. Kyle, you actually went through our five-day challenge, right? Yep. Yes, I did. And what'd you take away from that? Man, it's, it's something, it's something else. It's you truly, it, the content that you're putting out, you don't find it anywhere else. You don't find it in a textbook. You don't find it on a form. It's um, a different way to look at stuff. And it's, and you, it's really you've refreshing. Got of, you've got a lot of degrees and you've studied money for a long time, right? Yeah. He's a, he's a chartered financial analyst. That is not an easy exam. Okay. CFA. So, uh, yep. No. So it is, it's, it's, um, I went through the five day challenge and I know we've had a few conversations offline, Brad, but I, that absolutely is the first place to start because it exposes you to the, all these different concepts and the process. And, you know, the five day challenge leads to more conversations with you and then ultimately leads to, uh, you know, what, what we're doing here at the end of the day. So that's where to start. So go to cash flow tactics, dot com forward slash challenge and since jimmy isn't here to dig at you guys i'll say what jimmy loves to say to (laughs) smart people with cfas and degrees and all that stuff he's like i love it when dumb jocks get to teach really smart people what to do with money and that's exactly (laughs) what we're doing in the five-day challenge okay so go to cashflowtactics.com forward slash challenge and then if you want to learn more about reef obviously we would love to 
help you to learn more about them specifically. So we will throw up a quick page with some additional resources. If you want to go there, go to cashflowtactics.com forward slash reef. We will ask you on that page, have you completed the five-day challenge? Because if not, you should do that before you do anything here. But that would be a way to request some additional information off of that. So cashflowtactics.com forward slash R-E-E-F reef will be able to get you a little bit more information there. Okay, with that, we will sign off. And with our typical call sign of guys, this is not about money. The movement of Cashflow Tactics is not about bettering your finances. It's about revolutionizing it. And our tagline of Rise Up, Live Free is what we want to always leave you guys with. The reason why we try to bring you this education is, again, it's not about the money. It is about the lifestyle you're looking to build. So this is an opportunity to rise up, to learn something, to be exposed to something you weren't exposed to before so that we can build a life we love, that we can build the life we want to live and that we encapsulate that in live free. So thanks for listening. Join us on the next episode. Again, Kyle, Matt, thank you guys so much for your time. We appreciate you having you on. Thanks, Brad. Great pleasure. Thanks, Brad. I hope you enjoyed that last episode and thanks so much for listening to the Rise Up Live Free podcast. Do you have a question that you'd like us to answer raw and uncut on this podcast? All you need to do is head over to the Apple Podcast and do three simple things. Number one, leave a rating and review telling us what you think of the podcast. Number two, in that review, ask anything you want related to your path to becoming financially free. And third, if you want a shout out, leave your Instagram handle or name. That's all. Then listen in to hear your questions answered live, raw, and uncut. Join us next time on the Rise Up Live Free Podcast.